Well, this is not quite what we expected this morning. Um, I was really looking forward to finally speaking face-to-face -face, uh, with uh, some of you today, but it looks like, uh, well, it's just John and I in church, um, and we will have to wait, um, so I'll have to wait to speak to you face-to-face -face, um, for 2021. Um, what else are you looking forward to in 2021? How will you celebrate the end of all that we've been through during this last year? Perhaps you're looking, out, looking forward to evenings out in pubs with friends, uh, sitting inside in the warm rather than outdoors in the cold, shivering, uh, walks with more than six people um, and not worrying about veering too close to them, being able to greet each other properly when we come into church with a smile that everyone can see um, or a handshake or a hug. Perhaps you're even looking forward to being back in the office and having lunch out with your work friends. I have dreams of hugging my friends and of enjoying dinners together. I dream of being together in church again uh, with no masks and of singing and worshiping my heart out. My mum and I have promised uh, each other a big celebration with the family when this is all over and when we can safely be together again. Together, my mum and I have a shared hope. We are two women with a shared hope. And this is actually what this passage is about this morning, really. This is about two women um, who have something in common. That's something they're both looking forward to. They have a shared hope. Two women with amazing news. Two women in very different life circumstances, but with a common and a shared hope between them. Now, I've heard this passage read, read so many times, but when I was preparing, a few things uh, struck me that I think I've just glossed over before. We always seem to focus on the Annunciation, the visit from the angel to Mary, and also the Magnificat, Mary's song. And it might just be me, but I've never thought very much about the bit in the middle when Mary visited Elizabeth. This was potentially a difficult visit. We have Mary, a young teenager, being told by an angel that she was going to have a miracle baby. Not just a miracle baby, though, but a baby conceived through divine intervention rather than usual human method, and a baby who's going to be the son of God, God incarnate, God walking around the earth. I doubt any of us have had such incredible news to share like this in our lives, but when I have news, I really do want to share it. And usually I want to share it with people who will understand what I'm going through. And the angel knew that Mary would need someone to be able to talk to, someone who would understand, someone whose baby was also the result of a miracle, someone Mary could share her secret with and who could offer advice. And so the angel, I think, really kindly told Mary of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary was not left trying to get her head around this good news on her own. She was given someone to share her good news with. Mary must have left immediately. The message version says that she didn't waste a minute, but she got up and she traveled immediately to a town where Elizabeth lived. This was a difficult 80 mile journey into the hill country, possibly on foot, possibly on a donkey, perhaps traveling alone or with a group of people going the same direction. We're told that Elizabeth was six months into her pregnancy and Mary stayed with her for three months. This must have been an amazing time for these two women, sharing stories of pregnancies, as women do, talking about becoming mothers, 
Uh, no doubt the older women are sharing some spiritual insight and wisdom of life with the younger woman. Mary would have been there almost right until the end, leaving just before Elizabeth gave birth to her own son, John. What I like is that there's no mention of any jealousy or rivalry between these two ladies, which could have been really natural. Imagine being Elizabeth, unable to have children for such a long time, and finally, just when hope was almost gone, the news that she'd been waiting for, for countless years, that she was going to have a baby, and not just any baby, but a baby whose job it was to prepare the way for the Messiah, the rescuer. Then just six months later, on her doorstep, arrives her relative Mary, pregnant at such a young age. And Mary, not yet married, perhaps arriving at Elizabeth's home fearful and hoping that someone might believe her story about divine conception and not judge her. It was potentially a really tricky situation. But Elizabeth's response was an amazing one of humility, recognizing the incredible blessing God had given to Mary. She said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. That must have been such an encouragement for Mary to hear. What a relief. Someone else understood. There was someone for her to talk to and share with. But I'm sure that these two women would not just have talked about pregnancy and motherhood, though. Not when their pregnancies had happened through such miraculous situations. The words of both Elizabeth and Mary in this passage show that they knew something significant was going to happen through their sons. It's challenging enough becoming a parent anyway, let alone the parent of a prophet or the son of God. Just imagine what their conversations must have been like. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. The wondering, the sense of awe, perhaps the sense of fear. Elizabeth's response sounds excited, the words falling over each other in joy and amazement. Mary's response sounds more calm and measured in the, first, in the version that I've just read. But I love the first line of her song in the message version, which says, I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing the song of my saviour God. And I can imagine this teenage girl blurting out these words, far more than the subdued version that I read earlier. I'm bursting with good news. Mary's song is often called the Magnificat because the first word of the song in Latin is Magnificat. And in some English versions, it reads, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's a beautiful piece. And as Tom Bright says in his commentary on Luke's gospel, Mary's song has been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches, and set to music with orchestras. It's the good news before the good news. It's all about God. It's all about the Son of God who has not yet been born. It's all about God's power, holiness, and mercy. It's a song about hope. Not a song of wishful thinking, but a certain and secure expectation of the future. It's what Christian hope looks like. But it's also a song about revolution. It's, it can, speaks about the complete reversal of human values. It's not the proud, the mighty, or the rich who have the last word, but God's kingdom will overthrow all of these. This is a revolutionary song, a song about filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. 
the opposite of what was normal in those days, and probably also today, really, when the expectation was that the rich would be well cared for. Mary knows that God's priorities are different from the values of the world. God will not be bound by worldly ways. He will turn human attitude and the order of society upside down. But why did Mary launch into a song like this? What had the news of her son only just conceived got to do with God overthrowing the power structures of the world, demolishing the mighty and exalting the humble? Mary realises that changes are going to come through her son. But she also knows this is not a new plan. Mary knew her scriptures. Nearly every line of this song is a quotation and she and Elizabeth knew about God's plan because they'd already seen God's character throughout the years, through centuries of friendship with their own people. Mary and Elizabeth shared a hope. They shared a dream. It was the ancient dream of their people, the day that all the prophets had said would come true. They knew that rescue was coming, and they knew that their two sons John the prophet and Jesus the Messiah were the agents of this long-promised revolution. You will see echoes in Jesus' own preaching 30 years later when he warns the rich not to trust in their wealth and when he promises God's kingdom to the poor and vulnerable. And then you will see it on the cross when Jesus turned the values of the world upside down, dying the death that was reserved for criminals only, and gave his life to bring forgiveness and healing to the world that he had created. A song of hope, a song of revolution. But very simply, this is a beautiful picture of two women celebrating hope, celebrating what God is doing, with God the Holy Spirit causing the baby in Elizabeth's womb to leap at the sound of Mary's voice, carrying Elizabeth into praise and Mary into song. It's a celebration of what God is doing and what God is going to do. Hope is to be shared. If we just take one thing from this passage today, it's to follow Mary's example in sharing the hope of Jesus. She couldn't wait to visit Elizabeth and share her news. I imagine her packing her bags and taking off the next morning, desperate to tell someone her incredible story bursting to share her good news. I want to urge you, don't keep the good news of hope to yourself. This Christmas, probably more than any we've known, our friends, our families, our neighbours and our colleagues need to hear this song of hope. They need to hear this song of Jesus. How are you sharing the hope of Jesus this year? Let us pray. God of wisdom, Lord and ruler, root of Jesse, key of David, rising sun, king of the nations, Emmanuel, come Lord Jesus. Let's just spend a few moments in quiet reflecting on this amazing story 
and thinking about how we're sharing the good news of Jesus this Christmas.